0: episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller. I'm a writer, an editor, a runner, and a new mom. And every week on this show, I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. Running is what brings us all together, but any runner knows there is so much more to those daily runs than splits, paces, and sports bra tan lines. We're here to talk about the other stuff, the decisions people have made to get where they are today, and how getting sweaty has factored in along the way. So question, are you a good sleeper? No, I really want to know. I wish you could all respond to me right here, right now. I was always a good sleeper. I fell asleep relatively easily. I slept through the night. I woke up feeling fairly rested and joyful in the morning, but then I had a baby. And now, (laughs) ha 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 yeah. Annie, my daughter, is a great sleeper, but I am not. So will I ever sleep soundly again without the help of my dear friend Ambien? Well, according to Dr. Shelby Harris, there is hope for me and there's hope for you. There's even hope for my insomniac snoring husband. All right, today's episode is really fun. I had no idea sleep was such a fascinating topic until I interviewed Dr. Shelby Harris for a story I was writing for Well and Good. We got to talking beyond the topic at hand and turns out Shelby isn't just a clinical psychologist, a clinical associate professor in the departments of neurology and psychiatry at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Whew and the author of The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. Wow, Shelby's also a runner. And she's a runner who has run a whole bunch of marathons, a runner who has taken her personal marathon record from five hours to three hours and 45 minutes. So clearly we had a lot to talk about. Here's what you're about to get. In the first half of this episode, Shelby talks about how she got into her professional field and how, because of her work, she found running, gave into it, became a marathoner, you know the story. She also shares her story from the 2013 Boston Marathon. She was just about to cross the finish line when the second bomb went off and her story is traumatic, inspiring, and powerful. I'm grateful she decided to share it with me and with all of you then in the second half of this episode, it's listener Q&A time. I casually put out and ask for questions on Instagram stories one time and get this, I got more than 200 questions. That is bonkers. You guys, we are all such bad troubled sleepers, but Dr. Shelby's here to help. So let's get rolling. Shelby, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I have never been so excited to geek out over sleep. We are going (laughs) to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about running. We have a lot to get into. Thank you so much for being here. And we're about to have you share some really good stuff with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to geek out and talk about running and sleep, which I could talk about all day long every day. So thanks.
0: You told me those are your two favorite topics.
1: Two of my favorite topics, yes.
0: All right, so before we get into all of that, we start this like we start any good run. We start off with a warm up. So tell us who you are, where you're from, and what exactly it is that you do.
1: I'm Dr. Shelby Harris. I am originally from Rhode Island, uh, but I now live in Westchester County in New York, just outside of New York City. I am a clinical psychologist, but I have specialty training in behavioral sleep medicine. So what that means is I work with patients who have all sorts of sleep disorders, especially insomnia and nightmares um, and circadian rhythms like night owls who just can't get up early enough. And I work with them without using medication most of the time to help them get on a better uh, better sleep pattern overall. I ran the sleep disorder center behavioral program at Montefiore in New York City for over a decade. And now I'm in private practice seeing sleep anxiety and depression patients in Westchester on my own.
0: Very cool. And you know, we're going to do the second half of this episode, I'm going to have you put you on the spot and answer a bunch of our listener questions because we got so many. My question was going to be, how can I get some Ambien from you? But I feel like that's not your jam.
1: Not my jam. I don't prescribe medication. And actually in the sleep field and in primary care, we actually try to do the behavioral treatments that I do, cognitive behavior therapy. We try to do it before we even use medication nowadays. We really try to use evidence-based approaches without medications before uh, we we even go the Ambien route.
0: Oh, but Ambien's so good. I
1: know. But at oh. the... the it's just it's not the best road to go down for most people.
0: I agree. I agree. And turns out it's addicting. So let's not yes. do that. All right. Well, we're going to talk in a little bit about all of those good yes. ways that we're going to teach people. We're going to help them out. We're going to talk about I'm very interested in nightmares. So we'll talk about yeah. that a little bit, too. But first, I need to know, running and sleep, two of your great loves, which came first, your interest in sleep or your love for running?
1: My interest in sleep, for sure. I uh, was working, uh, I started working at Montefiore in their sleep clinic when I was in my mid 20s, and I was working with a lot of patients who had sleep apnea and who were severely overweight. And I was saying to them, you need to exercise and we have to lose some weight to help your sleep apnea severity. And I'm sitting there about 40 pounds heavier, not exercising and just feeling like the biggest hypocrite ever. And I finally just decided one day to take up uh, with team and training. I had a friend in the city who had done it and they trained me to run a marathon. I'm one of those extreme people. I say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run a marathon. I wasn't just, and I had never run really before and I did it. And then I caught the bug.
0: That's how it happens. That's how they get you. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's talk about some of the sleep stuff. Uh, yeah. I am curious. So you say you were interested in that, that you've been doing that since your twenties. Did you grow up knowing that's the field you wanted to get into?
1: No, not at all. I um, I had been a horrible sleepwalker as a kid uh, to the point where I would set off the alarms in my house and it was just not good. Um, so I was always interested in it, but I always knew that I probably was going to be a psychologist or a clinical psychologist. And I went to graduate school for it. Um, but right before I went to graduate school, When I was at Brown University, they had a really great sleep researcher there, and I got to do some sleep research, and that's when I fell in love with it. And when I was in graduate school, I was lucky enough to work with someone who did some sleep research, and it just all came together there. Is sleepwalking common? It's common in kids. It's less common as we get older. It's actually really common in a lot of medications like Ambien and all of that stuff, Um, but it's pretty common in kids. Yeah, my kids actually sleepwalk. It's hereditary a lot of the times. Really? So what do you do for them? So for them, I have to try and make sure that they're getting... For them, it's really... make sure they go to bed early enough and that they're getting enough sleep. Uh, It's sleep hygiene stuff, sometimes caffeine, sleep deprivation can worsen, um, sleepwalking, but really it's getting them to bed on a regular schedule on a regular basis is really key. And sometimes there's nothing you can do, it's just um, making sure the environment is safe, putting up gates, Um, I just do as much as I can. If it's chronic enough, there's things you can do where you wake them up at the same time every night um, to kind of break the cycle, but it hasn't gotten that bad yet, yeah,
0: okay. Have you seen the
1: movie Step Brothers? Yes, yes. okay. so
0: that <laughs> okay. so I have to ask that scene where, well, there's a couple scenes where the two yeah. of them um they wake up and like tear apart the house in the kitchen. Yeah. is that I'm sure it's very dramatic because of the movie. but how realistic is that scene? So
1: that typical sleepwalking when we think about it is much more like kind of um, it's it's more automatic behaviors that tend to be kind of clumsy in nature like i would i remember i used to kind of walk down the stairs and try to open a door i have patients that'll try and cook but they're spilling peas all over the place it's very slow but clumsy when people are doing more violent things like that or running around and just like chasing a robber or something in their sleep that is a type of a sleepwalking disorder but it's often indicative of something that's happening in rem sleep where they're acting out their dreams so it's a little bit of a different type of sleep disorder. Um, But it can happen. Yeah, we definitely see it. And then we have to really treat that because it can get very violent. I've had patients get injured. It's just not good in the long run.
0: Yeah, that's scary. All right. It's very scary. Let's talk about some of the common stuff. One of the number one things before we get into the listener questions. Everyone wants an answer to this. How much sleep should we all be getting realistically?
1: Okay, so there's individual variation. Um, it's between six to nine hours for most people. So that's where they get that eight hours from. It's just in the middle. It really is. So I want most people to try to aim for about seven to eight hours, but some people actually do need a little bit more. Some people need a little bit less. If you're someone who's struggling with insomnia, so you just can't sleep at all. Um, or you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Work on just trying to get better sleep quality and then work on the number in the long run. Because if you're really having trouble just sleeping in general, if you try to focus on eight hours every night, it actually makes it worse in the long run. But most people, mm, between six and nine hours, seven to eight is the ideal.
0: And we're talking night sleep here, not total cumulative days, like naps no 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 sleep
1: okay No, you can use a power nap here and there um but the more you use power naps it can start to worsen your sleep at night so power naps are great but you really shouldn't rely on them as a substitute for nighttime sleep on a regular basis
0: and what's power nap 10 20 minutes an hour 20,
1: 20 minutes okay. so if you start doing longer than that Um, A lot of people will say, oh, but if I take a nap, it's great, but sometimes I wake up groggy. That's because you're getting into a deeper stage of sleep and you're waking up um, in deeper sleep after about a half hour to an hour, and that's actually worse. So we prefer people to do a quick nap of 20 minutes. You wake up, you're feeling more refreshed, but usually I have people do it before 2 p.m. So if you're gonna use a nap, do it before 2 p.m., then it won't impact your nighttime sleep as much and do it for 20 minutes. Longer than that, not ideal. And really don't use it as a substitute for the night
0: okay so i feel like probably a lot of people listening who might have young children myself included are hearing this and thinking seven eight nine hours is this woman insane we know that this is what's recommended yeah can you talk to me about making this realistic and i don't necessarily mean for like with a one two three month old when obviously that's just not going to happen but if you have kids you have a busy life you want to get your workouts in like how can everyday people actually prioritize getting good quality sleep
1: i get it i have a three-year-old and a nine-year-old myself so i you know it's one of those things where we have to you have to make it the priority and you have to start seeing at night First of all, if your kids aren't good sleepers, you're not gonna be a good sleeper yourself. So sometimes we're not getting our kids on a good enough schedule that that has to be a bit of a priority too. So what are the things? Are there limit setting issues? Are there things where you're just getting them to bed at varying times, you know, if you can do, if you can get them in on as good a schedule as possible to help set your evening up, that's ideal. I know it's not always possible, but whatever you can do to get them on a good schedule will help you. Then for yourself, start to think about what has to be done at night and what doesn't have to be done. Do all the dishes have to be cleaned up? Like it drives me crazy if all the dishes are sitting in my sink at night, but I know that they can sit there until the morning. So are there things I can let go of so that I can get to bed to make sure I can get, for me I need about seven hours a night so that I can get to bed so that I can get my run in in the morning on the treadmill before they tend to wake up. And if you can start, to limit that stuff and limit being on the phone binge watching tv i know it's quiet time too a lot of people like to they finally put the kids to bed and they say now i have time to myself that's great however you're also going to be spinning your wheels and you're not going to be as efficient during the day at some point if you prioritize sleep you'll be more efficient during your day that you'll be able to have more time at night to do the things you need to do
0: so I know you mentioned earlier that what you specialize in and what you see most patients for now is insomnia, nightmares. Yeah. What are, if you can talk to, not just specific to that demo, those demographics, but what are some of the most common sleep issues that you're seeing that your colleagues might be seeing among adults?
1: Oh, it's insomnia. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, And and sleep apnea, I would say, too. But for me, I see insomnia day in and day out. It's just people are so stressed. They don't feel like they can um, put their phones down. It's like because now that we have technology and many people are working from home now, too. So their office is like right in their room. They're they're not turning off and they don't know when to turn their brains off. So we have our phone on us and we're, we're attached to work 24 seven. And that's really, I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing in in our society.
0: Can you give a definition for insomnia? I actually don't know technically exactly what classifies as insomnia.
1: I love that you asked that. So insomnia is trouble falling asleep, either trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep or waking up too early. But the other thing is it has to create a problem for you. So some people are just naturally short sleepers. So if you only sleep four or five hours a night, but it doesn't create a problem for you, you don't have insomnia, technically. But if you're annoyed by the fact that you're waking up or you're having trouble falling asleep, if you think it's making you drag during the day or you're foggy, then you do qualify for insomnia. And also it has to happen at least three or more days a week. So it's normal to have, I have it myself, a bad night here and there. That's totally normal, but if you have three or more bad nights in a row for a few months on hand, then you qualify for the definition of insomnia.
0: Okay. So I have a question for you. This is a personal question. Sure. I hate this about myself. I am not sure why. The first thing I do when my alarm goes off is I just instinctively, I turn my phone off, which my phone is um, you know, my alarm is on my phone. And as I'm turning it off, I grab it, I open it, I turn my phone on. And at 420 in the morning, I'm scrolling Instagram, email, Facebook, Twitter, just laying about yep. scrolling. That's like my wake yep. up routine. Is that real? you know, it doesn't give me pleasure. It's just what I now do, right? right? Is this a bad habit? It's also the last thing I do before I fall asleep at night. I would love your take right. on all of that.
1: I would prefer that people just go old school. I mean, the number of people that don't have an alarm clock anymore, or the number of people that have an alarm clock when they come into my office, I can count on like one hand. Go old school, get an alarm clock. Get the technology out of the bedroom. It's really not ideal. What we see for people is that when you're looking at your phone right before bed, you're training your body first that the bed is a place for being awake as well as sleep, but you're also getting blue light exposure, which is essentially what your brain reads as being the sun. So you're reducing any the hormone melatonin that your brain makes that people will often take as a pill. Your brain makes it to make you sleepy. It comes out when the sun goes down. And if you're staring at your phone, you're actually making your hormone levels of melatonin that should make you sleepy. You're reducing those levels because you're looking at the sun essentially. So it's not great on a biological perspective for looking at that stuff. It's also going to wake you up because some of that stuff is stimulating. It'll reduce the quality of the sleep that you get throughout the night. And then when you wake up in the morning, if it's just, it's just a habit that you're using when you get up in the morning. And if you ever develop sleep problems, a lot of people then start to look at their phone in the middle of the night. And it just becomes an even bigger bad habit that I prefer people just get an alarm clock, set the alarm clock, keep your phone out of your room. And it's a great thing to model for kids as they get older that we keep our phones out of the room because it's going to become a big argument as they get older and they start pushing their bedtimes later and you want them to go to bed earlier, keep a charging station outside, really try, to just protect your bed for sleep. That's it.
0: So I'm guessing it's safe to assume you feel the same way about televisions in the bedroom as well.
1: It's not ideal. I mean, I will admit I have a TV in my bedroom, (sighs) but I've used it, I know, (gasps) I'm allowing, but I used it, I've used it when I've had surgery or when I'm really sick with the flu and I'm trying to quarantine myself for my family. That's about it. I really don't like sit and watch it uh, at night most of the time. Um, so it's it's one of those things, I tend to usually watch my phone when I'm on the treadmill mostly. So it's really one of those things where if you can, try to not have a TV in the bed. It's just, it, you're training your body that the bed is a place to be awake. And most people say, well I sleep fine now, it's not a problem, okay. But if, it becomes, if you start to have insomnia, it's gonna become a bigger problem in the long run. What about reading a book before bed? That's not an electronic, but it's also not no. sleep it's it's fine reading a book before bed is totally great i love people just to go old school and if you can try to sit outside the bed really just use your bed for sleep but some people five ten minutes i'm not you know going to make a huge deal if you're going to read for a little bit in your bed before you go to um, go to sleep that's totally fine you know the your phone the paper white kindles are okay those don't have blue light in the same way that a regular like ipad or something would that would impact sleep as much so if you have a paper white That's totally cool to just get up and read that too.
0: Okay. Well, what my mom does is my mom will lay on the couch with the TV in the background, but we'll ignore that. And she'll lay on the couch and read. And then without fail, she reads half a page, falls asleep on the couch.
1: couch.
0: Yeah, Yeah. And then has to like make the shift, go brush her teeth, get into bed. What do you say to that?
1: I mean, if it, if it's an issue, what I usually see when people are in my office, like it's when it becomes an issue, they come to me. So what usually happens for those people is that they're falling asleep on the couch and then they get in bed and they either have trouble falling asleep once they get in bed or they wake up more in the middle of the night. And It's because they essentially were snacking on sleep on the couch. So I would rather people try not to sleep on the couch, stay awake so that you can fall asleep and get better quality sleep throughout the night. All right. So I'm gonna, it's better to train, Yeah. I'm going to tell it's my mom. Be, yep. Yeah, but if people are not having trouble with their sleep in the moment, why would they, they're like, if it ain't broke, why fix it, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my mom's an okay sleeper, but it takes her like a year to read a book. I think that's the bigger problem That's a part of
1: a problem. And she's trained herself too to fall asleep on the couch. Also, a lot of people will sit on the couch or they'll sit in the most, we always buy comfortable couches, right? So you're sitting in the most comfortable position, dim lights, you're setting yourself up for failure to fall asleep. So sometimes sitting straight up, sitting in a hardback chair, if you really want to read that book, You might have to set yourself up so that you're not going to fall asleep as easily
0: all right well we know that a lot of people listening are runners and you Mm -hmm. you know you have all this sleep wisdom and you're a runner so let's talk a little bit about how sleep impacts running and let's talk about it you know we know that these pro athletes they have the luxury of naps they have the luxury (sighs) of having sleep built into their day the everyday person who let's say the runner who maybe wants to run a four hour marathon this fall, who mm-hmm. has kids, has a job, has a lot going on, how can, how does sleep impact that person's running?
1: So sleep is super important in a few ways. So it's really important just for recovery in general. Um, when you sleep at night, if you get good quality sleep, what's happening is you're um, in deep sleep, your body is repairing itself. That's when all of your muscles everything is repairing itself so if you and and growth hormone is released during sleep so and deep sleep especially so if you allow yourself to get enough sleep at night you're going to have enough deep sleep percentage throughout the night that you will be able to repair from a good quality workout so it's really important to make sure if you have a really tough workout that you're going to have a really good night's sleep that night after so you can recover from it i am all for naps by the way if you're someone who has no problem at night like the pro athletes are taking naps during the day longer naps that's That's fine because they're stressing their body in a very different way and they're taking longer naps um, that it's great. It's great for them. But if you're if it's impacting your nighttime sleep, try to stay away from it. The other thing is that sleep is really important, too, because if you're starting to increase your training, you're going to often get much more hungry as time goes on. And if you're not getting enough sleep, your hormone levels that tell you when to eat more and when to stop eating all get off whack are out of whack. So if you get enough sleep, your hormones of ghrelin and leptin, essentially the one that tells you to eat more or the one that tells you to stop eating, they will be better controlled so that you won't, some people, a lot of people actually gain weight when they're training for marathons. And sometimes if you're not sleeping enough, it makes it even more difficult. So sleep will help you with your appetite regulation as well.
0: All right. I want to talk about your running because you have gone from a 519 marathon to a 345. You're training for Chicago. Your goal is to Boston qualify like 13 time marathoner. First, I need to know. I mean, we know you got the bug. You mentioned that. How did you shave an hour and a half off your marathon time?
1: Um, I think I shaved about 70 minutes off from between my first and second marathon. The first one was um, Marine Corps. The second was New York City. And I shaved 70 minutes off, honestly, for two things. I had my first child, which is weird. And I think I heard, I can't remember who it was. It was a Jen Bingham on one of your podcasts that said having a kid made her faster as well. I am a firm believer in that happening a lot of times because it made me much more efficient in my workouts. So I would get the workout done, and I started to do much more speed work. So I really followed a training program more. I said, this is the only time I have to do it. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it full on if I can. And it really just made me stick with it a lot more. So I really started to follow training programs. And now over the past year and a half, I started to do, I do CrossFit, which I know some people love, some people hate, but I started doing CrossFit twice a week and I run three days a week. And just the strength training alone has made me a much stronger runner. Um, And I recover way faster and my body changed drastically and I I changed my nutrition and I'm so close. (laughs) I I, I can taste it. I just hope I can shave those five minutes off.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about that. Talk to me how you're how you're feeling going into Chicago. You've got I mean, you got a bit of time. But right now, how are you feeling about Chicago?
1: I'm nervous. I'm excited, but nervous. I'm working. I started to work for the first time with a coach. So I um, hired uh, Anna Laniak, um, with the Jack Daniels Run Smart program. And it's amazing. And I'm, she's writing out all of my speed work and training programs for me. And I'm following it. So it's great. And she's very confident that I'll be able to do it. But I, I I just I don't know. I'm nervous. No, don't be. That's kind of what I love about the marathon, though, or just races in general. You can be I'm pretty good and diligent about following my race program, but you can never plan for what's going to happen on race day. I think it's so humbling in that aspect that you can be so controlled, but you can't control everything. And I love that aspect of the whole sport.
0: Yeah, it kind of makes the marathon both a beautiful thing and the worst thing ever that we all keep doing.
1: (laughs) Yes, totally, totally. All
0: right, so in those 13 marathons that you've run, one of them was the 2013 Boston Marathon. You were there, that was the year of the bombings. And when I say you were there, you were right there. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, Um, so I had run that one, with a charity, Wake Up Narcolepsy. And I was, so it was interesting, because I, you know, patients of mine didn't typically know, or they knew I ran a little bit, but most people didn't know what marathon I was going to be doing, or that I was even doing one that weekend. This was one that everyone knew because I was advertising and raising money for it, so it was very public. It was a weird experience because everyone I knew knew I was running that race, and I was I fi- I was supposed to finish in about four oh seven. So I had turned the corner. I was on the final um, stretch. I had about a tenth of a mile to go, and I was right near the second bomb. So I just remember running. Just about to be done, seeing the first bomb go off right near the finish line in the distance, thinking it was a cannon at first. And then the person next to me, we kind of looked at each other and just thought it was a cannon. And we kept running. And then a few seconds later, the one went off right near us on the left. And at that point, we knew something wasn't good. And we just kind of um, ran into a parking garage. And then it was just chaos for the next hour and a half, two hours until I could get to my family who was over in the common a few blocks away. Thank God they weren't at the finish line, but just getting through essentially a crime scene was just horrendous for a few hours. And I had no, I mean, I, the, the generosity in the town was amazing. I just remember people giving me sweatshirts because I was 40, 50 seconds from finishing. I had no nutrition, I was soaking wet, I, had, I couldn't get to my bags, anything. And it was, it was pretty powerful and incredible um, and scary but I'm just so glad that I have my limbs and it, oh, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible day.
0: Yeah. Um, and you did have some lasting effects from being so close to the blasts you told yes. me, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I lost, um, a good deal of hearing in my left ear, um, which I didn't realize at first. I knew I had some tinnitus in my left ear for a while and I went to a hearing specialist, um, and they did some hearing tests and then I apparently I hear, I have the hearing of like an, man or woman in their mid to late 80s on my left side. So when I do running, when I run with my um, friends and my uh, running groups, I typically try to keep people on my right side because I can't hear them as well when they're talking on my left. It's the least problem. I, mean, like, I am so glad that that's the smallest thing that could have happened to me given what happened to other people in that race. Um, but there was a New York Times article that came out around the time when I was diagnosed that said that there was like a big issue with people at that race that lost hearing. So it is what it is.
0: Wow. So I think that many people would have been very traumatized by that experience and probably chosen not to keep running big city races. And you told me that you've chosen to do the opposite, that you keep running them. And you called this an exposure experiment. (laughs) Can you explain that a little bit? So that's the cognitive behavior
1: therapist. In yeah. Me. So I think that was what I was alluding to a little bit at the beginning when I said it was the rate everyone knew I was running it because I was doing it for charity. So patients of mine knew I was getting emails and calls like, and it was on Facebook. I mean, everyone was wanting to know how I was doing and people were con- It was so sweet, but very public. And so I kind of had to, I felt to myself like I've got to practice what I would preach. So I started, I started small, like even like, loud noises still kind of get to me to this day. But I run a lot of the New York Roadrunner races. I do a lot of the big city races. And I would originally, I started just running on the treadmill and I would do some treadmills that simulated like a Boston course or other courses just to get myself the anxiety to come to a peak and come back down and get used to it. And the more I did it, the more comfortable I got in bigger crowds and with louder noises and just being around people just to get over that anxiety and it's taken time and I'm, I still have my moments here and there, but I really wanted to practice what I preached.
0: So is that a technique that works for people on their own? Like you're obviously a trained psychologist. You know that like, okay, I'm gonna build up this anxiety so that I can get over it. In my head, I'm thinking like, I don't think I should do that unsupervised for whatever anxiety I'm facing. Is that a common practice?
1: super common practice in in cognitive behavior therapy. So we, it, it doesn't matter what the phobia is really. It could be, I do it with people who have bridge phobias, elevator phobias all the time, right? If you're scared of something, we start small and build your, like we build it up so that it's not scary anymore. So if you're scared of elevators or heights, okay, maybe we start on the second floor. And then when that's not scary to you anymore, we move our way to the fifth floor and then move our way up. And that's essentially what I did with starting with races or I just did it virtually, like, right, like I'm looking at like a Boston Marathon course and just kind of running that on a treadmill. Um, But we do it for all different types of anxiety, pet anxiety, all different stuff.
0: So you returned to Boston the following year. You ran the 2014 race. What was it like being back in Boston and running it again?
1: So, as someone who's from New England and a lot of my family's in the Boston area, and my family's still in Rhode Island, it was just like uh, unbelievable, and the just the human spirit and the crowds were incredible. I will—that is probably one of my most favorite races that I've done ever, just because of the spirit that was there that day, um, and I was able to get under four. So I think a piece of it was, I was just super excited to be there. I trained, but I also, I think anxiety got the best of me towards the end. And I just ran as fast as I could to kind of get out of there, which isn't always good to do for anxiety, but I wanted to just get it get it done. But I loved the experience of being there. And I felt so happy that I was able to, to get there and that, they, the, that um, the BAA handled it so beautifully for the people who had been there the year before. It was really lovely
0: so when you say the anxiety was that about being close to the finish again or was that about running under four hours
1: no it was the no it was the i didn't think i was going to get under four hours at all i had no expectations i just wanted to run it i think the anxiety was was i was a little nervous still going through the finish line it still was there um and so i ran really fast the last two miles i think but yeah it was it was a wonderful experience and i'm so glad i got to do it yeah
0: and now the goal is to get that official bq
1: Exactly. Exactly. I never thought I would be at that point. Like I, when I started running, I mean, people laughed at me. they were like, Oh, you're, you, you never even liked to run a mile when you were in tennis in high school. And, um, I never thought I'd have some sort of, I mean, I'm not, you know, doing a BQ routinely or anything, but I, I never thought I'd have any sort of a proclivity to even get under four. Um, so it's a nice challenge that I keep trying to, to push more and more to see how far I can go.
0: I love that. I think that's amazing. And I I love what you're doing. I think that that's such an important message to face that, you know, whether it is a running related thing, or just anywhere in life, face that anxiety and, and to take the baby steps, you don't have to get over it in a day, in a week in an Instagram post, it might take a, a while.
1: It took, it definitely took a while. And I do the big city races, but like one of the first races, the first marathon I did to get back into it was Newport, Rhode Island, which was much smaller, but it was at least getting into a marathon, having a crowd of people around me, and then I worked my way up again. But it was, yeah, it, it, it was a challenge I needed to do for myself.
0: Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Aftershocks. I will now perform a dramatic reading of a recent Instagram direct message I received. Allie, I was running a 10K this weekend and I saw so many runners wearing aftershocks. And every time I did, I thought of you. And I listened to your podcast during the race. Thanks for running with me. I wonder if any of the other people wearing aftershocks were also running with you. You know what I mean. Thanks for everything. Okay, these are my favorite types of messages to get. It makes me so happy that people listen to this show on the run and that I get to be a part of your training runs and race days. But also, we have legitimate Aftershock spotters out there. Aftershock's wireless headphones are taking over the running industry, which should surprise absolutely no one. Why would anyone want to run in headphones with old school cords and wires? Why would anyone want big bulky Beats by Dre? Why would anyone want to run in Apple AirPods that are definitely going to fall out of your ears and into a gutter somewhere? Don't risk these tragic situations, people. Aftershocks wireless headphones are the only way to go if you want to listen to music or the Alley on the Run show on the run. If you don't have a pair yet, now is a really good time to give them a try because Aftershocks just dropped their brand new model, the Aeropex. The Aeropex has an even longer battery life, even better sound quality, even sleeker, sturdier, and more comfortable over the ear design. Go get a pair and see what all the well-deserved hype is about. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to save $50 on Aeropex Endurance bundles, which include my new favorite headphones and loads of other running essentials. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. All right, let's get back to Dr. Shelby. We have to get into these listener questions because we've got about 642 to get through. <laughs> so hope hope you're up for it and that you're going to dedicate your entire day to this. <laughs> I love talking sleep. So. All right. Well, so I was shocked. I put this out on Instagram stories just saying like, hey, I'm recording with Dr. Shelby. We're going to talk about sleep. Any questions? I thought we would get maybe like 12, Right. We literally got over 200 questions. Yeah. Uh, people have questions. So yeah. before we get into all of them, they're gonna run the gamut. Uh, lots of different questions about all kinds of sleep issues and people seeking advice. Is there like a disclaimer you can put on this that says like, hey, Allie's not a doctor and we're not gonna fix all your problems right here. Can you just cover our bases?
1: I think you just said that. So, so essentially, <laughs> um, this is not a substitute for individual medical help. If you, you know, it, I, I would say that if if you're finding that you're having a lot of sleep problems, really try and go and see your doctor, or go to a sleep specialist. I'm not going to be able to go in depth. And anything here, I'll be able to maybe guide you towards the right direction or give you some general ideas. But really, if you're suffering um, and having some issues, it's best to to seek consultation with a sleep specialist. And don't sue us. Or email me. Go to my website. And I'm very approachable. I use email all the time. And I can direct you to where you need to go through email as well. All right, so email
0: Shelby, don't sue either of us for no, anything you hear no. today. Okay, you let's get into the good stuff. And we'll start right off because I was going to mention what some of the most popular questions. There was definitely um, ones that came up over and over and over again. They were in the categories of falling asleep, staying asleep, and waking up still tired, which now I know that all falls under the insomnia umbrella.
1: Not all the time, but a lot it of could, times it Could, could. Yeah. See, it I'm not a doctor. All, I don't know. Yeah, No, most <laughs> of the time it is. But sometimes it could be um, sleep apnea. So sometimes if you're snoring, choking or gasping, um, you're waking up and you're still really sleepy or you have headaches or you pee a lot at night, um, there can be other things that wake you up and you might have trouble going back to sleep and then it's insomnia, but it could be an underlying medical issue that's causing it.
0: All right. Well, let's talk first about falling asleep. We had a lot of people writing in just simply yep. saying, I have a hard time falling asleep at night. My mind is racing. I can't turn off. Anything for yep.
1: them? So. It depends upon the person. But the first thing everyone needs to stop doing is you're looking at your phones before bed. It can delay sleep onset by an hour or more. So most people have no interest in doing that, but put your phone away, go old school, read a book, do something quiet, calm, and relaxing in dim light and get in bed when you're actually sleepy. Um, The other big thing a lot of people are doing is they're getting in bed when they're tired just to put an end to the day, but they're not actually sufficiently sleepy. So really try to unwind with relaxation exercise is read a book old school, do something that quiets your brain down, and then get in bed when you're actually sleepy, not just, eh, it's 10 p.m., I should go to bed, or 11 p.m., whatever it is.
0: How do you know when you're sleepy other than kind of like dozing off in front of the TV?
1: Well, there you go. Um, yawning, feeling a heaviness in your eyelids, um, if you your head kind of bobs forward a little bit here and there. Those are all signs that you're sleepy.
0: Okay. We got a lot of questions about staying asleep. People yeah. say, I fall asleep fine, but I wake up throughout the night, whether it's because they have to pee, because they're tossing and turning. What do you say? What can you tell people to help them stay asleep?
1: So there can be a number of reasons there as well. Um, if you're someone who is snoring, you're thrashing a lot in your sleep, if you move a lot, um, if you're peeing a lot throughout the night, consider seeing a sleep specialist just to make sure there's no apnea. and major thing okay i know it's mostly a lot of runners that are listening you don't have to be overweight or old to have sleep apnea young thin fit people have apnea too so just know that um but it could also be sometimes people go to bed early and they go to bed too early and they sleep in too late on the weekends or they sleep too late on the like they have too big of a window. And if you have too many hours in bed, you might not sleep as consolidated throughout the night. So sometimes I actually tell people, spend a little less time in bed. And also consider limiting your caffeine and your liquid, because if you're having liquid before bed or alcohol and caffeine, that can also make you wake up a lot in the middle of the night as well.
0: All right, and then the other very popular question was, I'm still tired when I wake up in the morning. I don't, and listen, I don't yeah. know anyone. And yeah. t- talk to me. Are there people out there who like wake up in the morning and feel refreshed? Because I know I don't. <laughs> and a lot of right. people are writing in saying I'm still either tired, groggy, sleepy, want to hit snooze, whatever it is. Like no one's waking up feeling good.
1: Right so a lot of times if you're still tired first thing you need to say is a are you getting enough sleep on a routine basis a lot of people say well i got eight hours last night and i don't feel good in the morning well one night is not going to negate a whole you know three weeks of not sleeping enough on a routine basis right so are you getting enough sleep on a regular basis are you having alcohol before bed are you taking any medications that are interfering with your sleep quality if all that is fine And you're getting enough sleep, and you're still feeling sleepy when you get up in the morning, then you want to consider seeing a sleep doctor because sometimes there are things like apnea, or you could be moving your legs a lot in the middle of the night and not know it. Um, There are things that could get in the way of your feeling um, quality sleep at night. It's an important thing to look at. And then the other thing too is that not everyone just feels like they're going to spring out of bed the first thing when you wake up in the morning. You know, it's not all like a Disney movie, right? It's it's Sometimes it's an hour later. I usually make my patients judge how they're feeling once they wake up and then it's an hour later because then all the the hormones in your brain that are sleep inducing have started to wash away. And about an hour later, if you're not feeling more with it and kind of more awake, then if that's not happening routinely, then you might want to get a consult. Yeah.
0: All right, let's get into some really specific questions here. Sure. We had one runner who's actually a former guest on this show. I won't out her because I said these would be anonymous. But (laughs) she asked, is it true that your sleep two nights before the race is more important than the night before a race?
1: I agree. I agree with that 100%. Um, Because the night before a race, it's just, it's so hard. You're so anxious anyways. A lot of times it's just not. You can try as hard as you can to sleep really well, but it's just, it's not anything that you can say is definitely going to happen, but two nights before, if you can really try and just two, three nights before get some consistent, good quality sleep, it will help you in the long run. Yeah.
0: And then this next question goes with that, which is, do you have any suggestions to help me fall asleep the night before a big race? I get so nervous. Help. And I just want to emphasize the help is in all caps with two exclamation points.
1: You're <laughs> I, I I have the same problems. You're human. You're excited by something. But the, the beauty of I wouldn't say beauty, but the thing that happens, you know, is that before a wedding, before good stressors in our lives, we often our bodies just are so excited that we can't sleep. And it's OK. Adrenaline usually carries us and we do OK the next day. So there's nothing you can do aside from taking medications and other stuff, which is going to worsen your performance the next day a lot of times anyways, you just you deal with it, you try to just do relaxing things, stay away from the phone um, and just read a book, just do some relaxation exercises. It's all you can do. There's nothing else. You're excited. You have adrenaline pumping and it will carry you the next day. That's why we try to focus on two nights before.
0: You just mentioned relaxation exercises. Do you have a favorite that you can share with us that we can all try?
1: I like um, deep muscle, or sorry, um, deep breathing relaxation, but I also like um, tensing and relaxing your muscles. So you can get those on online pretty easily. I recorded a bunch for a, an app called Meditation Studio, um, where it's really, it's visualizing your tensing, all different muscle groups in your body, one at a time, like your feet, your calves, your Um, thighs, you tense them for a while, and then you relax them. And I just love the feeling that I get as I tense and then you relax and you get this feeling of release in your body throughout and it takes about 20 minutes. Um, But some people love it. Some people don't like it. I like deep breathing as well. Diaphragmatic breathing. There's a gazillion ways to do it. Um, But I just like to deep breathe in and then deep breathe out and just count one, relax, two, relax. And I do it for about five minutes. I like it nice and simple. This feels
0: good. I'm so relaxed. I'm deep breathing. (laughs) And I'm when you started talking about the muscle stuff, I for some reason just instinctively started squeezing and relaxing my butt. So, yeah, there you, go. you know, my glutes are relaxed. I feel there relaxed. Go. I'm good.
1: I use, it, I use it actually after when I feel like some cramping in my calves and stuff, I just, just look up progressive muscle relaxation exercises and they'll be, you can get um, some good recorded ones. And I, I love it because I hold a lot of um, tension in my shoulders a lot of times. And it's something that's really great to help me just recognize even when I'm gonna run, if my shoulders are really tense, just to help relax them, I can get better at doing it just by practicing that on a regular basis.
0: All right. I thought this next question was interesting, and I think this one's right up your alley. How do you get over the type of insomnia that then turns to fear of insomnia?
1: Oh, yes. It's the will I fear of insomnia. So will I sleep tonight? Will I not sleep tonight? You know, it's it's that fear of sleep or not sleep. That's the big issue. Um, it's it's recognizing that you can't control it, and I think that's the big issue in the long run. And if you can let go of the control aspect and that you're going to sleep when you sleep. It might not be tonight. It might not be tomorrow, but after a few nights, your body will have its natural inclination to start to catch up. Most of us don't let us go three nights. We usually start to take something, whether over the counter or a pill or whatever. But if you do that, your body will have its natural inclination to start sleeping and you can't control it. It'll happen. If you can let go of that, that tends to help with the overall fear in the long run.
0: All right, we got a lot of questions about melatonin. The most popular question of which was, how bad is it to take melatonin every night?
1: The jury is still kind of out on it. Melatonin, it depends what you're taking it for. Most people are just taking it for insomnia. I will tell you this. The melatonin is actually not great for insomnia. Some people swear by it. But when we look at it for, in the research, it really doesn't, it doesn't um, show that it's very helpful in the long run for most people. Um, I, so few people come to my office saying that melatonin has helped them. But then again, like I said, some people swear by it. The problem with melatonin is that most of it is not regulated by the FDA. So they treat it like it's a um, just an appetite or a, a supplement, essentially. So it's not regulated. You don't always know what you're getting in the bottle. And people are not taking any sort of standardized, dose. standardized dosage. People are often taking way too much. Um, and there's been some suggestion. It's not really... I would say well-established, but some suggestion that if you're taking it chronically for months, years on end, your brain stops producing as much melatonin because it's becoming reliant on you taking it. Um, I use it, though, for people who have jet lag, who have circadian rhythm issues, who like are night owls, but I don't use it in insomnia so much.
0: All right. This next question is... How do I get sleep with a new partner in my bed when I'm used <laughs> to sleeping alone? I am tired. And we have another all caps situation with the word tired there.
1: I, it, sometimes you just got to grin and bear it and get used to it. I mean, there's nothing else that you can do. It's If you're someone who is just so used to sleeping alone what is it that that person's do? What is it that that person is doing that's getting in the way of you being able to sleep? So are they loud? Are they um, stealing the covers from you? Are there small things that you can do to try and fix it? So could you put two comforters? Like my husband likes to pull the sheets off a lot of times. So can you just get two comforters, two sets of sheets? It doesn't look pretty, but will that make it easier for you? Do you need a bigger bed? Uh, but sometimes, you know, I've had patients put body, it's not pretty, but they put body pillows, they put body pillows in the middle. And sometimes that can help as well. But it's not, it's not romantic, to say the least. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's just grand Barrett. You know, what else can you do? You'll oh, yeah. Get,
0: I mean, I sleep with a full fort around me. We have six pillows on our bed. My husband and there I, you go. I get five of them. I sleep on two and the rest are just in a fort all around me. Cause I'm just like, this is my space. Don't come into it. This isn't for me and the dog. You get that little, you get those six
1: inches over there. Exactly. I mean, there's really. Way. I mean, sometimes it's just it's there's nothing else you can do. I've had people put in ear like um, earplugs, noise cancelling headphones. They'll do white noise machines. But if it's just the aspect of having another human in the bed, you just got to get used to it. It just takes time to train yourself. It really. It is what it is.
0: All right. I'll put my husband on the spot. Um, I'm going to interject here with one of my own questions. So my husband, yeah. he snores sometimes. Like Ew. it's not consistent, but he has bad allergies. And it's oh, like when yeah. he has a sinus infection, which I swear is every freaking Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so he snores. Yeah. And it drives me bonkers. And yeah. he, he sleeps through it fine. Is there anything I can do? And I can't really sleep with headphones plus or with earplugs. Plus, like we have a baby. So I like to have the monitor. I I, like I want to be tuned in um do you have any suggestions for me since he doesn't seem to be dealing with the snoring issue anytime soon
1: right um just divorce so, is it just, do no. I just do that? i mean i'm separate not separate apartments say, there you go i mean i do have a number of patients i don't always recommend it as the first resort especially because it's <laughs> once in a while who sleep separately i mean and that can be freeing for some people it's not ideal um but yeah i mean when you say you don't use earplugs what kind of earplugs do you, would you try and use if you were gonna use them?
0: I don't know, I don't like having things in my ears.
1: Okay, so, so like the oftentimes just for, for your listeners, the foam ones aren't as comfortable as the silicone ones that swimmers use. So oh. if you, and the silicone ones tend to work better. So if you live in the city or you have a lot of noise, those work better. I would say, you know, you could do like a white noise machine, something like that could help maybe drown out the noise a little bit. And the one other thing, if you noticed, is you always snore in one position.
0: I don't know. I just kick him so hard. and He doesn't really like, he doesn't get mad at me because he's asleep. So he just kind of readjusts and then he stops for a bit. So it's violent. Yeah.
1: Well, keep an eye. If he's always doing it on his back, um, and it's, he's not choking or gasping. You think it's just congestion related. Um, then you can, you can actually train him to not sleep on his back. So when you know that it might be one of those trigger nights, um, you can actually have him sleep. There are special shirts you can buy that have like bumps on them. You could it's so he doesn't sleep on his back. You could uh, I honestly have people wear just like a pocket tee backwards and they put a tennis ball on it and sew it in. And then they're not going to sleep on their back that way, too. So that some people only snore on their backs and they mostly snore on their backs. So it prevents that whole thing from happening altogether.
0: What else can I train him to do? There you go. So many things. I'm so excited. (laughs) Anything relating to the dishwasher would be great. Oh, I would love to learn that myself, (laughs) too. So. All right. Let's get back to other people's questions. We had someone who wrote in asking, how can I consistently sleep more soundly without waking up in the middle of the night?
1: Mm mm-hmm. um, Well, that's the thing that I was I was getting at earlier. If you're it, it could be a few things that get in the way. Sometimes it's medications you're taking. Sometimes it's alcohol. Caffeine is a big one. So a lot of people think that caffeine just affects your ability to fall asleep at the beginning of the night. Not always the case. It can also make you have less. Um, less deep sleep throughout the night. So you're going to have more broken sleep. If you're drinking a lot of liquids without, um, within three hours of bed, you might have to use the bathroom a lot at night. And then if you really just feel like you have very broken or light sleep throughout the night, consider whether you snore or have any congestion issues because, or you move a lot in your sleep and then you might want to have an evaluation just to make sure there's no sleep apnea or anything else going on.
0: All right. So there were two different questions that were also shockingly popular because I've never experienced or considered either of these things. One, I don't even know what it is. But first, we got a lot of people writing in about restless leg syndrome at bedtime. Can
1: you talk about that? So I had restless leg with both of my kids. Um, it's very common in women, especially in pregnancy. So I wonder if the, your, uh, the people who wrote in had it during pregnancy. So it's it's a sim, it's a syndrome. It's a weird thing. It's it They changed the name, but it's most commonly known as restless leg syndrome. It can happen in your legs or your arms. So it's a feeling of it, it follows a circadian pattern, which basically means that as the night comes closer, it follows a pattern where you're... Um, it gets worse. So your legs typically, or your arms, feel like they just are essentially restless, but everyone describes it differently, that you have to keep stretching it, or I've had patients describe it like they have soda pop in their veins, or they um, have like bugs crawling on them, and you just have to keep moving. So some people who say that they have trouble falling asleep at night, if you can't fall asleep because you can't stop moving your legs or stretching them, you actually have restless leg syndrome. So it's something to get evaluated because sometimes it's not all the time, but sometimes it's as simple as an iron deficiency. And that's what it was with me when I was pregnant. I made my OBGYN test my iron levels. I was deficient, I started taking iron, and it fixed the problem in both cases. Um, if it's not just an iron deficiency, then there are actually medications that are very effective for treating it. Sleep specialists know a lot about it. And it stretching is really helpful, um, massage, and, some people find it's helpful. It really for more chronic restless leg. It's not so um, effective in the long run. I mean, people people will get up in the middle of the night and sit on a cold floor because they find that that helps, but you're not gonna fall asleep then. And then there's, you can Google online, like there's people who swear by putting like a piece, um, doves only, or ivory soap, it has to be ivory soap, under a sheet, and that helps with restless leg syndrome. It's just like a, a weird, superstitious thing that some people swear by, but if it's definitely impacting your sleep, get it looked at because there are effective treatments from medication to iron supplements to ivory soap.
0: So interesting. Okay, yeah. the other one that people wrote in about, um, we got a lot of women asking about this for themselves and a lot saying that their husbands or their partners dealt with this. Sleep paralysis?
1: What is that? So sleep paralysis is essentially it's when you're in REM sleep. okay? so REM sleep. So people always say, oh, I need to get as much deep sleep throughout the night. I need that really good deep sleep. So deep sleep is really important, right? Like I was talking about it earlier. Deep sleep is when your body is repairing itself. You're repairing your muscles, you're growing tissue, all that stuff. But we also have REM sleep. Now, REM sleep is where your brain is super active and you're dreaming and you're having memory consolidation and emotion regulation is all happening during that. Now that happens throughout the night but a lot of it that happens in the early morning hours and during that time that's when your bo- your brain is active but your body has a natural mechanism to turn itself off. So your muscles don't move. So you remember the you, you were talking about what's the movie um step brothers? Yeah active, active, very violent dreaming and running around, they're like having a dream and acting it out because their muscles probably aren't turned off. It's a problem. So when people have sleep paralysis, they're waking up essentially in, out of a REM sleep, but their muscles haven't been turned back on again. Does that make sense? That's scary. So they're, they feel paralyzed. They feel paralyzed. It can last for a few seconds to maybe a minute. It's not long, but it really freaky when it happens. I haven't experienced myself it, but I watched my husband have it. And when he had it, I remember his eyes opened up, but he couldn't move his body. He's had it a few times. It was just like that. And he was in law school at the time. Now, what are the things that can cause it? So one of the first culprits is sleep deprivation. So if you are sleep deprived, you got to make sure that you're getting enough sleep on a regular basis. I hate to say it, but a lot of sleep disorders, if you get enough sleep on a regular basis, that can fix a lot of the sleepwalking and these kind of crazier sleep disorders that happen. Then we look at caffeine use, medications can cause it. And then there are some much more rare medi- uh, disorders like narcolepsy and things like that, that can um, cause sleep paralysis. But a lot of times it's just sleep deprivation. We see it a lot in like teenagers who are just keeping crazy sleep schedules (laughs) and having all over the place. Yeah, but it's a really weird sleep disorder that can happen and scary when you have it.
0: So the best advice for them is trying to get more sleep?
1: Try to get more sleep is always the first thing you do. And if that doesn't work, go to a sleep doctor for sure.
0: All right, we got lots of new moms asking about the lack of sleep in that first year and, quote, how to survive. I don't want to get into baby sleep because that's its whole other thing. But what do you tell these parents, these new moms and dads who are just brutally sleep deprived, who are in the thick of it? What advice do you have for them?
1: Except in the first few months, except that it sucks, for sure. That's what I I mean. It's you. You're on their schedule, especially the first few months. Babies are born without any sleep schedule. They don't have any concept of day and night. They're Their circadian rhythms just aren't set. They don't know it. So you really are on their, at their beck and call for the first few months. And if you can just accept that and accept help when you can. A lot of women I work with, and myself included, you know, when I had both kids, we try to power through and we try to do as much as we can. You have to accept help. If you're really struggling, see where you can get that help. See what things can you give up to be able to at least sleep when the baby sleeps, what has to be done, what doesn't have to be done, and just try to power through as best you can. And then really try to work on just building in as much of a schedule when the baby starts to get to be five, six months old, and try to work on as much building in any sort of pattern regularity as best as possible, building in a routine bedtime, just try to have some sort of schedule, light, dark exposure, getting out into the sunlight, all that stuff will help to get the baby on a better schedule so that you can then get on a better schedule. It is all so short term. And if you can see that it's short term and it stinks in the moment, you will you will get past it. It's so hard, though, in that moment.
0: Someone wrote in asking, what are the best sleep monitoring devices? And I'm very curious oh. now to hear your take. You said get the technology out of the bedroom, yeah. but people like to track their sleep these days. What's I your know. take? I know.
1: No, I don't really use any of the sleep trackers. I mean, I wear wear a Garmin um, and I use it for running and I do wear it once in a while just out of curiosity with the sleep. Remember, I see mostly people who have insomnia, so they have trouble sleeping. And where I come, where we actually look at it in my field is we don't like using those sleep trackers for people who have trouble with their sleep because it makes them more obsessed about their sleep in a bad way. So we actually don't want you using that sort of stuff. That being said, if you are someone who has no trouble sleeping, but you're just curious about it, and you just want to try and get a little bit more sleep and make it more of a priority in your life, any of the sleep trackers are typically good. The Fitbits, Garmins, they're all pretty good. Um, they They're not going to be exact. I don't want people starting to look at the data of deep sleep versus light sleep, because that stuff is really not super exact. We only really know that stuff exactly if you're coming in for a sleep study and we're putting you into an EEG, that's it. So really it's more of a motion detector essentially to see when did you stop moving? That's essentially when you probably fell asleep and when did you start moving again? And that's probably when you woke up. So if it helps you to see what kind of a window you're sleeping in, great. But if you have chronic insomnia where you can't sleep, try not to use those devices because it actually might make the problem worse.
0: I'm a light sleeper and sounds easily wake me up constantly. Any yeah. tips to sleep more soundly?
1: Okay. So that's where I think you can do either a white noise machine. Um, those are great. All these, all these new articles are coming out talking about pink noise, um, which is just like a variant of it. That's you can what we the, use for my baby. Yes, so there you go. So you can get a fan or whatever that has pink noise. That's fine. Um, or you can use the silicone earplugs. Those are great, too. But yeah, I mean that's that's about all you can do if if you want to try and block the noises. The two best options.
0: All right, I think a fan fan too. A fan. All right, I think you'll appreciate this question. I only remember my bad and scary dreams. What's that about?
1: Um, Because they were the most emotionally salient to you. They probably that's probably. I mean, you're having ones that are scary and they they stand out. Do you wake up from them? That's that's kind of my first question. And if you. if you wake up and you have issues with it and they're happening chronically, then maybe you want to get it treated if it's really bothering you on a regular basis. But yeah, they're the ones that stand out in your brain the most. So you're going to remember it. Remember the best and the worst, typically.
0: Is there a most common reason that we have nightmares or scary dreams?
1: Not really. It can Some people, it can just be because you have scary dreams just because you typically had them and your brain is just trying to process how to deal with the day's events, and maybe maybe there was something bad that happened, um, and you're trying to figure out how to deal with it on a regular basis. So like I think of dreams almost like a filing cabinet, essentially. So you're trying to figure out, how do I make a file to deal with something that's going to happen in the future? So bad dreams can often be in response to bad things that are happening. They're often jumbled up, but that's typically what's happening. Same thing with good dreams. Um, it's just your brain trying to figure out how to process and make a file of what do I need to remember and what do I need to shred?
0: We should do a whole separate episode just on dreams because I'm very fascinated by just all of it, like why we have certain dreams. Yeah. Like I am someone who I spend so much time in life just making sure I'm prepared for things. I'm always 15 to 20 minutes early for everything. So right. my bad dreams In all of my bad dreams, I'm late or unprepared always. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Those are all my my nightmares are me either being late, being unprepared, needing to be somewhere and I can't get there. Like all things that I try so hard to avoid every day in real life.
1: Right. And you don't need a PhD to figure out why that's all <laughs> happening, right? So you're, you're, you're thinking about all that stuff. It's on the top of your brain. And you're accessing that file of what if I'm late? What do, how do I deal with it? What am I going to do? And it's making you more anxious. And then your brain is trying to prepare itself to have to deal with the worst case thing that you're fearing. That's all essentially right. what's happening.
0: All right, let's do a couple more listener questions before sure. we do our sprint to the finish. Is it true that you shouldn't eat before bed? Or does it help sleep to have a little snack?
1: All right, so no heavy meals within three hours of bed. So no big meals. But a little light snack is actually great about an hour before bed. So what do I mean by a light snack? So a light snack would be something like um, a mix of a carb and a protein is ideal. So I like half a banana with a little bit of peanut butter, a cracker with a little bit of cheese. A lot of people like to do like non sugary cereal with milk. I don't love the milk because it makes you have to pee if you, it's liquid at night. But yeah, mix of carb and protein is totally cool. Excellent. All good.
0: All right. My husband and I have totally different sleep schedules. Help. And I can relate to this one. My husband's a late night guy and I'm an early morning girl. And I think we're probably both in the bed at the same time for like three hours max.
1: Yeah. I mean, what is, help why? Why is it a problem? I think that's the first sometimes you just have to accept that you have different sleep schedules. If you want to get on the same schedule, that's a whole other issue. And that's when, you know, you might want to um, seek the advice of someone who might be able to like myself, who might be able to shift someone's sleep schedule or both your sleep schedules in different ways so that they meet together. But sometimes you just need to accept it. I go to bed really early and I wake up really early. My husband goes to bed late and wakes up somewhat early still. But we have just totally different sleep schedules overall and we've just learned to accept it over time. It's it, otherwise it creates more frustration for the person who just can't keep that sleep schedule.
0: So, he doesn't wake you up when he's coming to bed or do you wake him now, up when you're up in the morning?
1: No. We tend to get up a, a little bit around the same time, but now we don't we're just so used to it. We've been married long enough that we're so used to it that it, it doesn't really wake me up. No.
0: All right. And the last question. Someone submitted this. I have a hunch that they're in your inner circle. Someone said, ask her how many alarm clocks she owns.
1: (laughs) Ask me how many alarm clocks. I have two in my bedroom. Probably have like... Five or six total. But my husband and I both have, that's funny. My husband and I both have our same alarm clocks. He has his from college. I still have my alarm clock that I had in high school that I use every day. What? It still works? It still works. The Sony Dreamweaver, Dreamweaver? I don't know what it's called posted on Instagram like a year ago. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm such a fan of alarm clocks. No one uses them anymore. And take the alarm clock, turn it around so you're not looking at the clock throughout the night. But yeah, why we don't need the phone as our alarm clock. There's no need for it. Get an alarm clock.
0: All right. With that good final message, let's let's move on into our sprint to the finish round. And we'll say that this is, you know, this is our afternoon pick me up. This isn't we wouldn't do this right before (laughs) bed. We wouldn't want to get our energy up. This is just, you know, we just woke up from our afternoon 20 minute power nap, let's say. Yeah. Okay,
1: Sounds good. (laughs) What is your favorite food? I'd say a good warm chocolate, like kind of blondie with a nice scoop of vanilla ice cream on top
0: favorite movie
1: favorite movie it's a toss-up between the graduate and space camp two identically or two totally different movies favorite tv show um arrested development pre-netflix years biggest pet peeve people who say one thing but act in a different way
0: greatest fear
1: Uh, When I run on the trails with my running group, Rivertown Runners, when I run with them um, and there's a deer or a coyote in the woods and I fear it's going to attack us.
0: Oh, my God. No, a deer
1: wouldn't attack you. Deer are like really nice. uh, I get hit by a deer at a race once. So it, it, it hit the side of me very gently. I had a few friends who saw it. It was not good. Wait, wait, wait! So you're running this race? <laughs> was it a trail race? It was a trail race. I, I run in Rockefeller um, Preserve yeah. all the time. Yeah, and uh, there was there was a deer that got c- kind of caught in the middle of the trail race, and it didn't know where to go, and it oh. just stood there, and it was scared. And I looked at it, and I was right near it. and I stood there, and I was scared too. And I looked at it in the eye, and it jumped right at me, and kind of just brushed the side of me. A few people saw it, and I just stood there terrified. Luckily, I did not get injured, but. Oh my gosh! Now I'm terrified of running near deer all the time.
0: Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm like, you're fine. Don't even worry about it. Okay, so you need yeah. to do some of your exercises where you I, get close still, to
1: deer every day. I still well, they're all over the place and yeah. my my eating all my my plants every day, so it's all good.
0: Amazing. Where did you have your first real kiss?
1: Oh my gosh, my parents' my listeners in the in my garage with one of my neighbors years ago. Yes.
0: When you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be I wanted to be an astronaut. I was obsessed with space camp.
0: All right, we know that you don't fight about your sleep schedules, but I need to know what is the last thing that you and your significant other fought about.
1: Probably just clutter. Clutter in the house. He loves to he loves to collect things and take things apart and build things and I like to be a lot more clean lined and not have clutter in the house. So probably something like that over the past week or two.
0: If you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be?
1: I would say uh, oof, that's a hard one. I would say I would say the Obamas. Can I do them both?
0: Yeah. Very popular answer on this show. Oh, It is. Okay. Yeah. What's one thing you can't run without? Uh, My Garmin.
1: Yeah.
0: Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Um,
1: Joey McIntyre.
0: Nice. What has been the best day of your life so far?
1: That's a good question. I mean, a few, I mean, there's the, uh, you know, the ones of obviously having both my kids getting married, but I would say, you know, like Boston 2014 was one of the best days because it showed me that I could really overcome something that was really a massive, massive challenge and set me back pretty far in my life. Um, and that really helped me a lot.
0: What one word do you want to be remembered by? Strong. Tell me three things you love about
1: yourself. I'm resilient. I'm dedicated. And I'm pretty passionate about things.
0: All right. Last thing I need from you. Give everyone listening a reason to run today.
1: Because as long as you don't do it right before bed, usually, it'll help you sleep better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it usually it'll help you sleep better.
0: I knew there was gonna be a caveat. I love this. I learned so much today. I had no idea that I was so interested in sleep until I started reading all these questions. And it's fascinating. Oh. What you do is fascinating and I love the way that you have combined your passions. It's so great and keep doing it. And you know what? We're all gonna be cheering for you at Chicago this year.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm so excited and thank you for having me. This was so wonderful.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Alley on the Run show. Don't you want to go to sleep now or to take like a Dr. Shelby approved 20 minute power nap? If you're loving what you're hearing, I would love to know. Talk to me on Instagram and Twitter at Ally on the Run 1 and the Alley on the Run Facebook page. You know, I would also love for you to leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, a big, huge thank you to everyone who has already done so. One last thing, let's give it up for our wonderful sponsor, Aftershocks, for making this episode possible and for being such a great longtime supporter of the show. Go get yourself a pair of the all-new Aftershocks Aeropex. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. Now, go get a great night's sleep and have the sweetest dreams. And thanks for joining me on the run.